Did you know that your favorite hockey team is 16-5-5 when Tristan Jari is in net? That's a pretty healthy pace, I'd say. Did you know that there's 22 games in which he hasn't participated at all? Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into football and or baseball, I also offer Daily Shots of Steelers and Pirates where you found this. Jari's pretty good when he's between the pipes. His problem, to a large extent, I think maybe the dominant extent, is that he hasn't been between the pipes anywhere near as often as you'd like a starting goaltender, never mind some kind of horse type like a Connor Hellebach or before him, Martin Brodeur, to be. And that's at least a little bit unsettling, maybe a lot unsettling for a couple of reasons. One, this hockey team really, really needs him. And by my count, Jari has been hurt officially three times within the past calendar year, meaning his current status That's an upper body injury of some kind, a lower body injury that he had at the Winter Classic in Boston just about a month ago, and then going back to the ankle injury that he had that you recall, of course, that kept him out of all but Game 7 of the playoff round against the Rangers. Now, there also was an issue that he was dealing with earlier in the season that had Casey DeSmith starting a little bit more often because Jari wasn't 100%. But then whenever Sullivan was asked about the same injury, he really downplayed it. And then when DeSmith started playing great, magically Jari was just fine again. There also were two other injuries the previous season. And I'm sorry, that's too much. That's too much. Yes, Guys get hurt. Yes, I will say to you on a regular basis that I cringe like crazy at criticizing athletes for getting hurt because crazy things can happen to them. You know, if a puck comes up and, you know, a shot deflects off somebody else's stick and breaks your jaw, you're not brittle. You're not fragile. It just means you weren't born with an iron jaw. It's not something that's a slight on you or your character. But if it's upper body this, lower body that, coach questioning this, you're coming back when the backup is getting better, then it becomes an issue where there are doubts not just with the coaching staff, not just with unimportant people like me, but within the room. And I'm not saying that's where we are with Jari, but they, the players, do know that they're a far, far better team with him in net than without him. And they feel that. Now, the second component to all of this, not that we really need to be discussing this, at this juncture of where this season is and what's needed right now, but you got to make a decision as a franchise if you're going to sign this guy. And when I say sign him, I'm talking about signing him. 
You can try to get excessively clever and say, well, we're going to sign him now when he's at lowest possible value before he starts thinking he's worth Andre Vasilevsky money or Sergei Bobrovsky money or something crazy like that. He's not. He's not. He's not in that class. And one of the reasons, again, maybe the biggest reason he's not in that class, or at least in that conversation, is he doesn't stay on the rink. Do you know who votes for the Vezina Trophy? Did you know that that's not the writers and that's not any any other uh, media outfit of any kind? It's the general managers. It's the general managers. The writers vote on everything, by the way, except the Vezina and the Jack Adams Award, which is voted on by the broadcasters. But the Vezina goes to the GMs. The GMs don't overthink this stuff. You know why Hellebuck gets it in Winnipeg? Well, A, he's really good, but they just love the fact that he's always there. <laughs> they they envy the heck out of Kevin Day off the GM up there, who doesn't even have to worry about getting a backup. That's their dream come true. It's old school goalkeeping, you know, from the 60s when guys would just play every game and they'd play them without masks and men were men and they all walked to school uphill both ways in the snow and all that other stuff. But it's it's very real. You become a more consistent hockey team. It was only about two weeks ago that Jason Zucker, who tends to be more blunt than most, in giving his assessments, acknowledged what should be obvious to fans, but still weird to hear from a player, that the Penguins actually perform better in front of Jari. And he said that with no pride and no real positivity. He said, because there's no reason for us to not be putting forth that same effort and that same type of play in front of Casey DeSmith. But he acknowledged that they don't. We can see this. We can see this. The entire team appears to be discombobulated in front of him. Why? I don't know. Should DeSmith cover the puck more often and get more whistles the way Matt Murray used to do just to kind of try to slow the game's heartbeat down a little bit? I don't know. Guy should just be able to play goal the way he wants without worrying how it'll affect his skaters. But they see it. They feel it. And this team needs Jari in the net. And if he can't find a way to do that in the second half, they're in trouble. And so is, by the way, his prospect for getting himself that big contract this offseason. When we come back, J1Q. Fun little collection I came up with of three different entries that were sent this way in response to yesterday's rather feisty episode in which I challenged Mike Sullivan, Ron Hextall, and Brian Burke to find the courage, and I do mean courage, that's needed to make the moves that, quite frankly, are now needed. 
And the responses I got included from Dan, Truth Bomb again, DK, absolutely spot on. Sully needs to do his job and put the right personnel on the ice or be shown the door. He's not going to be shown the door, Dan, but your points stand. Crow says, unfortunately, Coach Sullivan won't do this. He did it when he first came up to coach the Penguins, and he hasn't really done it since. That's that's an interesting way of looking at it. I'll get back to that in a second. Drew says, I don't think Sully has the stones to healthy scratch Dumo or Carter. See, this is where it's not easy finding the right word. I used guts. You used stones. Others have used other terminology. I don't converse and communicate with Sullivan and think to myself, now here's someone who, you know, who really lacks, you know, uh, the ability to say what he wants to, to somebody. I, I just don't see that. What I see instead is a coach who gets so caught up in the trust and the loyalty and the emotion in dealing with certain guys and just not being able to put them in the spot where they currently belong. Uh, That's different than stones and guts and all the other stuff that you and I are going back and forth about. I tend to agree more with the suggestion that Crow made that Sullivan made those moves back in his rookie year and hasn't made them since for a couple of reasons. One, he did have actual players to call up from Wilkes-Barre. So let's remember that. There's no there's no magical wand that's going to get you a Brian Rust, a Jake Gensel, uh, or even, for that matter, a Scott Wilson or a Tom Kuhnhackle. Those guys just aren't down there. They have a couple of players that I like, but it's not going to be some big wave of difference makers that'll change the whole feel in Pittsburgh. It's just not like what happened that you're describing in 2016. But I don't think Sullivan made those moves in 2016 because he had guts. I think he made them because that whole bond, that loyalty and everything else hadn't yet fully formed. The guys who he was trying to push at the time and Hockey history around here, I think, has buried this part of that story a little bit since then. Were Chris Kunitz, Pascal Dupuis, remember, really, like, very, very reliable leader-type guys who could do everything. They could be on your first line or your fourth line. They could score. They'd fight for the puck. They'd do all the smart things. They were in a big old funk. They weren't alone. And when those players came up, these young guys... All of a sudden, those guys unfunked in a hurry. They really did. And that's been part of my thought process here, where if the Wilkes-Barre guys aren't going to be some kind of immediate improvement, like a Jonathan Gruden, he wasn't going to be that. Not that he got any kind of chance, but someone like Valtteri Pustinen would be. Pustinen could come up and do enough smart, good things, particularly in the offensive zone, that he could put a little bit of a scare into somebody, kind of like what we might be seeing the beginning of with Drew O'Connor. 
And nothing, nothing, nothing could be healthier because I am telling you that there are at least one or two players who would unfunk in a heartbeat. One of those being Brock McGinn. I don't know that Jeff Carter can unfunk at this stage. I don't know that Brian Dumoulin can unfunk, but I think McGinn can. Not that he'd be great, but we saw a couple weeks ago on one particular night when he went flying around out there and hit somebody and then set up some other play and had the bench wired and and wow, it was almost like you could do that sort of thing every night if you really tried. That's what's needed here. But in 2016, Sullivan hadn't had an extended period, let alone years, with some of these guys. Sullivan hadn't won two championships with any of those guys the way he had with Dumoulin. And and it's just a different dynamic. I don't think it's lacking courage. I just think he's that much of a of a softy, really. When it comes to that sort of thing. But then that's also why you have people over his head. I appreciate all of the feedback that comes in to this show. I appreciate everyone who listens to it as well. Let's do it again tomorrow. Mm-hmm.